Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. John chapter 3, and if you're using the copy from underneath the chair, page 835 will get you right to where you need to be. And you can follow along with us. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open or keep them on. We will go back uh, throughout this message to reference the Scriptures because we want the Scriptures to do the talking and to do the, uh, the teaching this morning. And so we have uh, been sitting in John chapter 3 last week. We looked at John three sixteen, And this week we're going to be looking at the next two verses, 17 and 18. I've entitled this message, Christmas Gift. Christmas Gift gift. And so we want to read here and jump right in to this passage of scripture. I hope again that you'll keep your Bibles open and maybe write some things down, take some notes as the Spirit of God speaks to you through his word. I want to begin in verse 16, which is what we looked at last Sunday, and then just continue into 17 and 18. So follow along with me if you would, John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's the big idea. If you're writing some things down that sits over top of these two verses for this morning. Christmas is when God gave his gift to the world. Christmas, this season that we celebrate all month long, is repre- it represents when God gave his gift to the world. We received in the mail a couple of weeks ago, a catalog from Amazon. So Amazon is going like retro now. They're sending catalogs in the mail so that you can go through and pick your gifts. Well, it's actually pretty clever, pretty smart, because it's not just a catalog of all the toys that the kids want that they can buy on Amazon. It's also a coloring book and some games and some puzzles. So it's meant for the kids to have an interactive catalog experience. So I gave this catalog to my kids. We have four boys at home. And I said, hey, I want you guys to go through this catalog, and I want you to notate for me the things that you would like for Christmas. Maybe find four or five things, a couple of things. We, as, our, as our kids are getting older, it's, sometimes it's a little bit harder. You're, you know, you, you want to buy the right things. You don't just want to waste money on things they're not going to use. So point us in the right direction is essentially what I was saying. Take this catalog, circle a couple of things, point us in the right direction so that mom and I can go out and get you some gifts for Christmas. So the boys did that. Well, this past Monday, it was my day off, so the three older boys were off to school, and our youngest, who's still at home, Tyson, he just turned five, so he is is a big boy now, he just turned five last month, he was at home, and uh, the catalog was sitting on the coffee table, I said, hey, Ty, I said, I want you to take me through the catalog and show me what you marked for Christmas, show me the things that you want for Christmas, so we sat on the couch there, nestled up next to Ty, he's got the catalog on his lap, and he starts taking me through this Amazon catalog, and he starts turning page after page after page after page 
after page of all of the things that he wanted, circling item after item after item after item after item. And just to make sure that I was very clear, he put a T next to each of those circled items so that I knew that that gift was specifically meant for him. As we, as we were walking through this, I began to notice that some of the things in this catalog, he didn't even know what they were. I mean, he circled like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like that hasn't even entered into our house yet. He circled Legos. The kid's never done a Lego in his life. I don't think he could figure out the, the manual to get it all together and to find all the pieces. The only thing that made sense is when he got to the page of the catalog that had Bluey on it. He sur- if you don't know Bluey, this, this is a show for children Don't judge me, I watch it too, but it's an Australian cartoon of a blue dog and her family and all of their eight-minute episodes. It's amazing. You should watch it sometime. It'll change your life, but Tyson loves Bluey, so everything on the Bluey page was circled, so that page kind of made sense, but the rest of it was just like, what exactly does all of this mean? What's the reason for all of these gifts? We got to one page, and he had circled a pink Barbie doll. Our house is all boys, right? So just unusual we don't have any Barbie dolls in our house so I looked at Ty I said Ty what's with the pink Barbie doll and he kind of gave me this sinister smile and he looks up at me he says that's for Brayden (laughs) okay so Brayden just be on the lookout I went back just because I was curious I went back this week and I counted all of the things that he had circled in that catalog Tyson circled 74 items in the Amazon catalog And if Amy and I were feeling super generous this year, I calculated what it would cost to buy Tyson everything on his wish list. And it would cost us $5,519.57 if, in fact, we went and bought Tyson everything that he wanted from the Amazon catalog. Well, about halfway through this conversation on the couch this past Monday with my five-year-old seated with his catalog in his lap, I realized there weren't really any particular reasons why he was choosing these gifts. I mean, if it was colorful and if it was a toy, he wanted it, essentially. But there wasn't really any purpose. There wasn't really any reason behind the gifts that he was choosing for himself. If you ever stop to think, what's the reason God chose to send the gift of his son? What's the purpose? You see, if we don't understand the reason God chose the gift he chose to send to us, we won't understand our need for it. Is Christmas just another holiday of the year? Is it just another time for family and a little bit of extra time off school for the kids? Is it just a time to give gifts? I mean, what is really truly the purpose? Or is there something so much more significant to this time of the year that we have grown to love so much? So the passage that we are going to look at this morning, and these two verses, John 3, verses 17 and 18, are going to show us the reason for God's gift. So Christmas is when God gave his gift to the world, but what's the reason? What's the reason God sent his son into the world? And there are three of them in these two verses that we're going to take a look at this morning. The outline is going to look like this if you're writing things down. Through God's gift, we are given, number one, a startling reassurance. Through God's gift, we are given a startling reassurance. Reassurance. I want you to see it in verse 17, right? The first half of 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, this is a reassurance because. 
God didn't come to tell us how wicked and sinful and irredeemable we were. And it's a bit startling because he had every right and reason to do so. So it's a startling reassurance for our hearts that God is not sending Jesus to condemn us. When you see the word world in the Bible, this particular word, world, overwhelmingly represents all that is opposed to God, all that is anti-God. So it's really a negative word in most contexts in Scripture. It's not a neutral term like humanity. World represents that which is against, that which is anti-God. So for God to send His Son to the world, God wants us to understand that He did not send His Son to a world that was opposed to Him, opposed to Him in order to condemn that world. Last week, we saw how big the world is and the size of God's global love that no, that, that we learned that no one was outside the parameters of that love. So if last week we were seeing how big the world is, this week we're seeing just how bad the world is. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. John 14 tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world, at least for now. John 15 tells us that the world hates Jesus and that followers of Jesus are not of the world but have been called out of the world. Ephesians 2, the word world, represents followers of Jesus before they came to faith in Jesus. James 4, 4 says that friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. And 1 John 2, 15 says that Christians are told not to love the world because the things that are in the world are not of the Father. So it's a bit startling when you read 17, verse 17, and you see that God is not sending his son to condemn this world that is living a life against him. Think about it. Why else would deity visit humanity if not to judge it and condemn it and reprove it? But God sent his son for a different reason. And maybe if that is the perception that you have of God, that, that, is, that is born out of a misunderstanding of who God is. God is not up in heaven as a wrathful, angry God waiting on the edge of his throne, looking down to earth, waiting for us to make one false step so that he can come down and pounce on us and punish us. And if that is your perception of God, let me offer to you something different. And I'd like to offer to you this morning what, what is the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. It is a verse that is alluded to and referenced and quoted more than any other verse in Scripture by Scripture. And it may not be what you'd expect. It's found in Exodus 34. And in Exodus 34, God gives a character description of himself. Because he wants us to know who he is. And all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, this passage is being referenced and alluded to over and over again. Because God doesn't want us to miss who he is. I'll put it up on the screen here. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 say this. The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
See, there's a balance in God's character here between love and justice. There's a balance between grace and mercy. And this is who God is. So God is not sending his son to condemn us. So what does that mean for us this morning? Take heart. Rest assured, Jesus has not come to condemn you. I was thinking this past week back on, I was thinking about my dad. My parents came and visited for Thanksgiving, and while my dad was here for Thanksgiving, he reminded me of something that I did when I was a teenager. And my dad uh, owned a business for several decades, and it was a paint manufacturing company. And so as a teenager, I was one of his employees, and so I worked for him. And what he wanted to remind me of, he reminded me of this just recently over Thanksgiving. He reminded me that the largest paint spill in the history of his company was my fault. Now, I've actually shared this with our church, so if, maybe you've heard this story before, but for whatever reason, this came to his mind just a couple of weeks ago, and he wanted to remind me of it, and so I was thinking back on that this week, but when I was a teenager, I was probably about 17 years old, I was working for my dad, and one hot, humid July Philadelphia summer afternoon, I pulled several skids of five-gallon plastic buckets of paint out onto the asphalt, and I triple-stacked them, and I went about doing what I was supposed to do for that day. Well, not a long while later, I noticed that that stack of plastic buckets of paint was starting to lean. And about the time I noticed that it was leaning, I watched in slow motion as hundreds of gallons of white paint came crashing to the ground, spilling all over the black asphalt, all over my dad's building, all over the building of the neighbor next to my dad's plant, and then all over the boat of the neighbor who had the building next door. And I was there all by myself when it happened, and I'm just staring at this colossal mistake that I had just made, thinking, I have to go tell my dad, and he's going to want to come and see the mess that I have made. And in my mind, I'm thinking, it's not going to be good. And as I was thinking back on this mistake that my dad was so graciously willing to remind me of over Thanksgiving dinner... What was startling to me as I was recalling that incident is the way that my dad did not respond. He did come. I did have to go get him. He did come and see the mess. And he was certainly disappointed, as you can imagine, because of the size of that mess. But I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, John, he said, I think you just need to go home. <laughs> now, he probably didn't want me to make any other mistakes that day. That may have been part of that re the reason for that. But... He just said, John, why don't, you, why don't you just go home? Why don't you just call it a day? This mess is big enough. Just go home. And he cleaned it up. And what's amazing is that when a parent catches a teenager doing something that they're not supposed to do, that teenager expects that there's going to be some condemnation. There's going to be some punishment. There's going to be some consequence for what was done. When a boss catches an employee breaking policy, that employee is going to expect there's going to be a reprimand here. Maybe I might even get fired for what I did. When a cop pulls over somebody that's been speeding, the person who is speeding is fully expecting that they're going to get a ticket for what they did. And yet when God came to us in our mess, in our brokenness, and in our sin, he did not give to us what we deserved. He did not send Jesus to condemn us. And so what that does for us is it causes our hearts to be assured. Maybe, maybe in a startling way because we would have expected that, but he doesn't, in fact, give that to us. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. By the way, if I could give just a sidebar comment. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have now been sent into the world. And I want to remind us this morning that we have not been sent into the world to condemn the world either. Our mission is not to go to the world and to tell the world everything that is wrong with them. Our mission is to go to the world and share with them Jesus. So the reason for the gift of Christmas is first this startling reassurance that Jesus did not come to condemn the world. The reality is, as we'll see in a moment, the world was already condemned. But instead, God sent Jesus for a completely different reason, a reason that we needed much more than condemnation. So through God's gift, we are given first a startling reassurance, but then number two, secondly, through God's gift, we are given a unique salvation. A unique salvation. Look at verse 17 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but by contrast, in order that the world might be saved through him. When the angels announced the coming of the Messiah to those dirty, lonely, lowly shepherds in the field, this is what they said in Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior. Of all the descriptions they could have chosen to announce to those shepherds, they chose the description Savior. See, God was not sending an educator. God was not sending a philosopher. God was not sending a religious rabbi. God was not sending a politician. God was not sending a governmental ruler. God was sending a Savior. And it is a unique salvation because that salvation is only made possible through Christ. John chapter 3, this passage that we're looking at, is there's a larger conversation going on in John chapter 3 between Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, if you're not familiar with Nicodemus, here's what you need to know about Nicodemus. He was curious and he was cautious. He was curious because he had been hearing about this man named Jesus and he had no doubt even seen some of the miracles possibly he was even on the mountainside when Jesus gave his famous sermon on the mount and he's starting to hear about the things that Jesus is doing and he wants to know for himself he's curious but he's also very cautious because Nicodemus is a religious man and Jesus was not particularly popular with the religious crowd and so Nicodemus comes to Jesus but he comes under the cloak of darkness he comes at night to inquire of Jesus. And so Jesus has this conversation and with Nicodemus, and they're talking about several different things. But in the middle of this conversation, Jesus gives an illustration that Nicodemus would have understood regarding salvation. I want you to see it in verse 14 of John chapter 3. Just write up the page, a couple of verses. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says this in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. What's going on there? That's something that Nicodemus would have known very, very well. It's a story found in Numbers 21. You see, God had rescued and redeemed the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. But because of their unbelief, they were not able to go into the promised land yet. And so God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years. And as they are wandering, the people of God in the wilderness, the people of God begin to complain. 
They begin to complain to Moses. They begin to complain about God. They even begin suggesting that it would have been better for them never to have been rescued from Egypt. They're complaining about the miraculous provision of the food that God provided. And God, because of their complaining, because of their impatience, sends fiery serpents as a judgment. And those serpents begin to bite some of those people and they, begin, they become sick and some of them even die because of those serpents. And so the people quickly repent. And they go back to Moses and they say, Moses, go to God and pray for us that God would remove these snakes and take these serpents away. But God, instead of taking away the serpents, provides a way of salvation. And God instructs Moses to craft a bronze serpent on a pole and to set that pole in the middle of the camp and then to tell the people who've been bitten by those snakes who are about to die, if you will just believe, if you will look on that serpent that has been lifted up on that stake, you will live. Interestingly enough, if you look at the emblem on the side of an ambulance, it's the picture of a snake on a pole. If you go to ems.com, you'll find that this, according to them, symbolizes the staff of Asclepius, a Greek physician who was deified as the god of medicine. But boy, it sounds strangely familiar to something else. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, which is a term for the coming Messiah. It's an Old Testament term for the one who would be the anointed one. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here's the reality. We have all been bitten by the venom of sin. And God does not universally remove the problem of sin. That would be a compromise of free will. Instead, God provides a way of salvation through the Son of Man who is lifted up on an old rugged cross. But you have to believe. You have to look on the Son of Man in order to live. In order to have the remedy for your sinful condition taken care of. This way of salvation is unique. He says at the end of verse 17 that the world might be saved, how? Through him. Just as there was one serpent lifted up on a pole, so there has been one Savior lifted up on a cross. It is the one and only unique way to have salvation. It is through Christ. Think of it like a combination lock. A combination lock has one unique set of numbers that unlocks that lock. I have been a pastor now for 16 years, and it's amazing how many different combinations people try to put in the lock to unlock salvation. They all boil down to just a couple of similar combinations. It usually has something to do with a set of works that people are trying to do to earn it. Boy, if I just, if I just go to church, if, I, if, I'm just, if I'm religious, if I pay some money or if I do some things, or maybe if I put enough good works on the scale, the good will out, outweigh the bad, and they think that that is the combination to unlock salvation. Other people think that there is a combination of maybe social activism and community involvement and just kind of a dabbling of spirituality and a belief in a higher power, and if I put that combination in the lock, it will unlock salvation. The reality is there is only one unique combination that unlocks salvation, and it's the combination J-E-S-U-S, through him. No doubt there were Israelites in the wilderness after hearing about the serpent on the pole that Moses had set up who just didn't believe. 
They just, they, they, they just couldn't believe Moses. Moses, you're just making this up, not realizing that it wasn't Moses' word, but it was God's word through Moses that he was relaying to them. Moses was saying, this is the way of salvation, but you still have to believe. You still have to look in order to live. If you're still not convinced, Acts 4.12 says very plainly, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father, and this might sound familiar, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. You must look on the Son, and you must believe in Him. So what's the reason for the gift of Christmas? Jesus came not just to be born, but also to be lifted up on a wooden cross to die for the sins of the world, to be the remedy to our sinful condition, but we must believe. And so the question is this morning, have you looked on the Son? Have you believed in the Son of God? Have you believed in Jesus as the only way of salvation? And if not, will you trust, will you believe, and will you look on him today? This is not something that someone else can do for you. This is something that must be a personal decision. You might be in the room this morning and thinking, well, I know my friend who brought me today believes in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about myself. I'm asking you, do you believe? You might be a teenager. You might be a college student. You might think, well, my, my parents believe, or my, my grandma, she always believed, and she always used to take me to church, but have you believed? I know it's a bit cliche, but God does not have grandchildren. Nobody gets in riding somebody else's coattails. Nobody, gets, no, nobody, nobody just sort of gets in because somebody went in before them and they're following that person in. You must believe in Jesus for yourself. It is a unique salvation that has been given to us in the gift of Jesus at Christmas. Through God's gift, we are given, first, a startling reassurance that he did not come to condemn. Secondly, we are given a unique salvation through Jesus, and thirdly and finally this morning, through God's gift, we are given a new beginning. A new beginning. I want you to see it in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now what we find in verse 18 is we find both groups of people represented in the world today. You have those who have believed, and you have those who have not believed. And by the way, there's no third option. You have either believed on the Son, or you have not believed. And I want to start with the unbeliever first, the second half of this verse. Unbelievers, it says, the unbeliever is condemned already. Condemned already. Your own actions have condemned you. Your own sin has condemned you. Your own unbelief has condemned you. This is like the child who gets into the Christmas chocolate advent calendar a little early in the month. And they get a little carried away and they start opening up all the doors to that chocolate Christmas advent calendar. And just about the time they woof down that December 25th piece of chocolate thinking that the coast is clear, mom comes around the corner. And that child, of course, wants to deny that they've done any wrong. But the chocolate smeared all over their face has already condemned them. That's the reality of where we are. Jesus did not come to the world to smear chocolate all over our face because chocolate was already smeared all over our face. We are already condemned. We are sinners who have fallen short of God's perfection and God's glory, which is why he came to save. 
So if you are here in the room and you have not yet put faith in Jesus, what Scripture says is that you are already condemned. Why? Because you have not believed, the verse says. He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That phrase, only Son of God, might sound familiar because we looked at it last week in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his one and only unique and special Son. And if you are still an unbeliever this morning, it is not because you haven't done enough works yet. It is not because you have to get perfect attendance at church for six months in a row until you can not be condemned. It is simply because you have not believed yet in Jesus. That is the combination that unlocks salvation. When Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would be born of the the Christ child, he said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And then he says, the Son of God. To not believe in the Son is to not believe in God. So an unbeliever is already condemned. But what about those who've put faith in Jesus? What do we find in verse 18 for us? We find that it says right at the beginning of verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. So I have a question. How does a world that was already condemned go from being condemned to being not condemned? How does that happen? Well, the answer is that Jesus was condemned in our place. Jesus took our condemnation on himself so that we could transfer from being condemned to being not condemned. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, listen, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what's happening in that verse? It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We have given to Christ our sin, and Christ has given to us his righteousness. It's the great substitution. We are no longer condemned because Jesus was condemned on the cross in our place. And so now, what does Scripture teach for you and me in Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But what I want to offer to you this morning is that no condemnation is just the beginning. The fact that your sin debt is no longer on your account because it was placed on Christ's account and paid for in full, the reason that you are no longer condemned is really just the beginning. Believers are welcomed into a new beginning. They're welcomed into a brand new way of life. We watched recently the 2018 version of The Grinch with Benedict. Is it Cumberbatch? Is that how you say his last name? So if you've ever seen that particular version of The Grinch, it's a great Christmas story. Go watch it this afternoon. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. But after the Grinch stole Whoville's Christmas, but then had a conversion moment where his heart grew three times in size, and after he returned all of that Christmas and all of those gifts back to Whoville, the Grinch walks up his mountain back to his lair, just assuming and expecting that he will spend the rest of his life in isolation and loneliness with his dog. But much to his surprise, Cindy Lou walks up that mountain, braving the snow, 
and the treacherous terrain, she knocks on his front door to invite him to Christmas dinner at her house that night. And when you get to the last scene of the Grinch, you will find the Grinch outside of Cindy Lou's home. And you can just tell, you can hear the music, you almost sense the warmth of what's going on on the inside of the house. But here's the Grinch, in between the old him and the new him, he's in this moment of just anxiety and fear because he's not sure what's going to happen if he rings that doorbell. And he just expects and assumes that if he comes face to face with all those people because of the sin that he had committed against them, that they're going to condemn him and reject him and hate him. But you probably know how the story ends. He overcomes the fear. He overcomes the anxiety. He rings the doorbell. Cindy Lou's mom opens the door and welcomes him in. And Cindy Lou comes and takes him by the hand and welcomes him into the home. And Bricklebaum gives him a huge hug and announces that that's his best friend. The Grinch is welcome to the table. He's treated like family. And he's even given an opportunity to give a toast. You see, the Grinch was not just forgiven. It was not just no more condemnation, but now go back to your lair in the mountains. But he was welcomed into a brand new way of life. Think of it this way. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not just no condemnation. It's not just that our sin debt has been erased, but we have also been welcomed into the family of God. We have also been empowered by the Spirit of Christ. We have also been given a new name and a new inheritance with God. We have been given gifts by the Spirit for the benefit of the body. It's a gift that just continues to keep on giving. So it's not just no condemnation, but it's everything else that comes with it. It's a new beginning to a new life with Christ. So why this Christmas gift? Well, God didn't just come to send Jesus to give us a get-out-of-jail-free card, although that would be pretty good in and of itself. But he came to give us so much more, to offer us a new beginning to a completely new way of life, free of any and all condemnation. So I wonder this morning, Christian, you have been set free from the condemnation. You are no longer under the condemnation of God. You have been set free from that. But are you bringing yourself back underneath that condemnation? Are you allowing yourself to believe the lies that you are the old you and not the new you? And I get it. We say things, we do things, we disappoint ourselves. We, we, we treat people in a way that we know we shouldn't treat them. We, 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 we live a life that we know is contrary to the gospel and all of a sudden we start to feel this shame and we start to feel this condemnation. I just wanna remind you this morning that if you are feeling condemnation this morning and you are a child of God, that is not from him because you are now no longer under condemnation. You have been welcomed into a new way of life. You have been welcomed to the table. You are seated at the table of grace. You are a child of the King. You are forgiven. So don't put yourself back under that condemnation. So the gift of Christmas is when God gave his gift to the world. The big idea is that this season, the reason for this season, why we celebrate is that Christmas is when God gave his gift to the world. Tyson has a pretty extensive Christmas wish list. As a matter of fact, it's still growing. He keeps adding things to it. Every time we see something in the story, he's like, I want to add this to my list. I said, just put it on the list. Just put it on the list. And that satisfies him in the moment. I hope Christmas Day he doesn't remember everything that he put on his list. I'm not sure that he even knows why most of the things are on that list. 
But I can tell you when God sent his gift of Jesus, he had a very specific set of reasons why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to offer to us a startling reassurance. Though we may have assumed that when deity visits humanity, deity would condemn humanity, that is not why he came. God sent his gift for a unique salvation that through Christ we could be set free. But God also sent his gift of Jesus to offer to us a new beginning that starts with no condemnation but continues with everything else. So as we learn to live this morning, my first question is a pretty easy one. It just sort of flows right out of this message. And it's this. Have you received God's gift? Have you personally received the gift of Jesus, that unique salvation that unlocks the combination for salvation? Have you received Jesus? Maybe up until now, you didn't really know what the reason was for Christmas. Maybe you knew that Christians recognize it as the birth of Christ, but maybe you didn't fully understand the reason or the purpose or the significance of it, but now you do. And as you sit in this moment after studying these two verses, maybe you're realizing that you've never truly put personal faith in Jesus. Are you ready to do that today? Are you ready to trust and believe? I am not asking you to come up with your own set of combination letters to do this. I am not asking you to try to jump through some hoops or to prove some things and demonstrate some things. The way to belief is simply belief. You just trust that Jesus is who he said he was and did what what he came to do for you. And if you will believe in him today, you will be forgiven of your sin and you will be given a a new relationship with God and welcomed into a family called Christianity. John 6.40, I mentioned it a moment ago. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So if you've not yet believed in Jesus, I welcome you. I invite you today to believe in Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, I'm ready to do that, or maybe you even have some questions about what that might mean, I would invite you when the service is over, stop by the Next Steps counter in the lobby. One of our leaders there has a gift, a book that they'd love to give to you that will continue to explain a little bit more about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They would love to talk to you. I would love the opportunity after the service to talk to you if you have questions. Because the most important thing, the most important gift that you can receive this Christmas season is not what you have at the top of your wish list. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus, I urge you and I encourage you today, trust in Him. My second question as we learn to live, those of us who are followers of Jesus, my question for us is this, what are you doing with God's gift? What are you doing with it? You've received it, now what? Are you living like you're still under condemnation as if there's some probation period that God has you on and he's just kind of keeping a close eye on you to see if you actually turn out okay? Listen, that's not how the gospel works. Don't live like you are still under condemnation. Live free in Christ. What are you doing with the gift God has given to you? Also, Christians, what are we doing this this Christmas season with the good news that Christ has come to offer us salvation? This is one of the easiest times of the year to talk to people about Jesus. And the amazing thing about the gift of Christ is it's the one gift that doesn't diminish the more you give it away. The more you share, the more you tell, you still get all of Jesus yourself as well. 
And so this Christmas season, let's look for opportunities to share the, the good news of great joy that the Christ child has been born and he came for a specific reason so that we would not have to continue in our condemnation, but we could be set free and have life in Christ. On your way out, there are invite cards to our Christmas Eve service. Take a handful of those. Go to work this week. Go to your neighbors. Bake a batch of cookies and take them to your coworkers and say, hey, would you be my guest at 10.30 a.m. on Christmas Eve morning? And let them come into this room where once again we will, we will sing and we will celebrate and we will declare and we will preach the gospel again, the good news of why Jesus came. What are you doing with the gift? Let's not take this gift and just hoard it and keep it to ourselves, but let's go and tell and let's go share with others what Christ has done and given to us. Christmas is when God gave his gift to the world. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for the gift. Sometimes it's hard to know how to respond to a gift of this magnitude and of this size. We come with hearts eager and ready to worship and to say thank you. So Lord, I pray that this Christmas season we would not just run from one event to the next, from one party to the next, from one holiday activity to the next and miss being still and beholding you. I pray for the one in the room this morning who has put faith in Christ, I pray that today you would help them to walk in that new relationship with you. I pray for the one who maybe is right at the doorway, they're right on the verge, they're right at the edge, and maybe they've got some questions. I pray that you would give to them courage to, to ask, to, to see me or one of our workers at the next step table so that we can help them to understand more about what it means to know Jesus Christ on a personal level. Of all the gifts to be given this season, the greatest one, is the one that was given some 2,000 years ago. So we thank you, and we worship you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church... Go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.